Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, a show where we explore the world of sport and deconstruct the tools and ethos of world-class athletes to create growth and optimize business. I'm Noel Allnut, the Chief Sales and Strategy Officer at Securo, and today I'll be talking to former professional cricket player Shane Lee. We discuss his pathway to success through sport. The trials and tribulations of being a professional sportsman and how he retired from the game and how to reinvent himself in order to succeed in business. Building Resilience Podcast. Shane Lee, welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast. How are you doing today? No, I'm very good, mate. Uh, first day of the Ashes um, as we're recording this, mate, and we've got the Poms four for 30, mate, at this stage. You beauty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, we did see we would talk about this, but it's, uh, it, could be, uh, it could be a lot more for 30 uh, by the time we finish the call. It could be, mate, but uh, no, I'm going well, mate. I'm looking forward to it. I've been listening to your podcast. They're going really well, mate, and um, you're getting some really, really good insights into, I suppose, the sportsman's mind and how they manage and, and deal with resilience. It's great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, really enjoyable. It was great having the conversations with Matt Dunning and fascinating here about Simon Katic. Mm. Today, I'd love to hear about your journey, Shane, and um, maybe we could start with going back to the West Indies, your first one-day international. What was it like between getting into the first-class team and then getting up to, into the Australian team um, and, and stepping out against the Windies? Well, first things first, it was it was quite funny because I, without sounding arrogant, I always thought from probably about the age of 12 that I, I would play for Australia. Um, but when it actually happened, it was it was overwhelming, uh, to be honest. I was away on like a, a New South Wales sort of promotional country trip. Um, I think it was up somewhere near Tamworth and, and got the call from the chairman of selectors, get to Adelaide. Both myself and Michael Bevan were there. Uh, next thing we knew, we were on a plane and going to Adelaide. I remember walking into the hotel room for the first time and all my Australian yellow gear was laid out in the bed with Lee on the back with the big number 20. And that's when it, that it sort of really hit home, that gee whiz, I've actually, this thing I've been dreaming about for my whole life, it's now real. And now I've got to go out and face the bloody West Indies <laughs> <laughs> who, who had, um, oh, they had Courtney Walsh, Kirtley Ambrose, Patrick Patterson, yeah, and I remember walking out for my first time to bat, and I used to wear a helmet, but for some reason, maybe I was trying to uh, pick up some girls that night, but I wore a cap <laughs> out to face those guys. Um, but it worked out well. I had a really, really good debut, scored 39 runs off about 23 balls and, and took one for 27. Um, and it was really, really good memories. It was Adelaide Oval. It was, it was fantastic, mate. Oh, congratulations. And uh, a very... Uh a very tough um, pace attack to uh, to start up with, a little bit like the ones that the Poms are facing today. Yeah, big time, mate. They're uh, very, very good bowlers. Um, they they could the West Indies. Everyone would talk about how they could bowl like really aggressive bounces, um, but they had sort of two or three bounces. Um, one, the, you had two different two or three gears. So the first one was would be quick. The second one would be really quick, and the third one would sort of come out of nowhere, and that that's the one would uh, really startle you and, and get you out, but. Now, some world-class bowls. I was really honoured to play not only in that Australian team at the time under Mark Taylor, but really honoured to be actually go out there and, and see what it's like to face, you know, a six-foot-seven West Indian who's running in from the almost from the boundary ropes. Yeah, probably not the best day to wear a cap. <laughs> no, but um, maybe you know the uh, ignorance is bliss, mate. Maybe, and uh, I, I was just so excited. It, it, 
looking back now, um, it's it's a bit of a blur that whole game. I remember walking out of the gates um, and then you know, announcing incoming batsman Shane Lee, and the crowd sort of cheered and and then there was a bit of a blur. I remember going out and taking centre, and I, I don't really sort of remember the next sort of few balls. Um, I think I got off the mark um, straight away, but. Yeah, it, it was a wonderful time, and it was just really, really special to share that with, um, you know, my family and, and friends, and that they were all watching back home. We grew up in Oak Flats, so it was a, uh, it, it was a wonderful time. Oh, that's awesome. So you had a successful career, forty-five one-day internationals, over five thousand first-class runs. What are the characteristics that defined a young Shane Lee? Um, I, I was a very, um, believe it or not, I was a very good trainer. Um, I, I always uh, did more. Um, away from the game. So, you know, even when I was living at home from the age, I think I started my first class career at the age of 18, I was still living at home. So in between sort of training four days a week with either the Campbelltown Career Club or the state squad, I was sort of in the backyard with Brett and Grant, my two brothers, and we're hitting thousands of balls every every day. So, um, and, and bowling as well. So it was, you know, that sort of grafting and doing the that book, you know, 10,000 hours was, was a real key component. Um, really believing in yourself is, is a really big part. Um, I learnt more about um, myself down the track that everyone has an opinion, uh, particularly when you get to that level uh, and have thoughts on your game and what you should be doing, but you've got to really be true to yourself and and know what you're doing. Um, don't read the papers too much is, is another big tip because you know they can write some really nasty things. Um, Stuart McGill actually said he'd only read the papers when he did well, which actually made a lot of sense, to be perfectly honest, because you're never going to have a bad day. But, um, yeah, just really, really believing in yourself, um, backing your own ability, but but doing the hard yards and making sure you're prepared that when you actually walked out into that ground, you were 100% ready for the battle ahead. So hard work's been fundamental to your success. Yeah, definitely, mate. Definitely. It's um, from a young age. My, my dad never played. dad never played cricket, although if you ask... Robert Charles Lee now, you think he's played 150 tests. <laughs> um, but he was really, really strong on the mental side of the game. Um, he was all, always about never give a sucker an even break. Um, do more than the next person. Uh, train harder than the next person. Um, if you get an opportunity to put your foot on their throat in a game situation, make sure you do it. And um, and always be um, almost uh, very aggressive in, in the way that you do things, but also be patient as well. So it was a, it was sort of a, a fine balance you had to work. But Dad was, yeah, really, really big on being dominant and, and, and sort of trying to gain the ascendancy in any situation you could. Did you have any rituals or habits that um, were specific to yourself that, that just happened day in, day out, week in, week out? I did. I, I used to like to a little bit of a superstitious one. I, I'd put my left pad on first. That was about the only thing. But I, I'd always make sure um, I would bowl a certain amount of uh, overs leading up to a match. Um, I'd like to bat for a certain amount of time and also get throwdowns. And, and I wouldn't sort of leave the nets until I felt comfortable that I was ready to go. And, you know, some days you've got to stay back and do a little bit more. Um, and some days I was big, big too. And then if, if you're in good form and you're playing well, don't overtrain then as well, because um, you can actually play yourself into some bad form. I always think, but uh, yeah, that that was a real thing. Um, just trying to eat well, um, yeah, balance, not not drink too much, because the the first sort of 
first half of my first class career was from sort of 1989 to 95 and we were semi-professional. I think I put the semi in professional list a few <laughs> times. But um, from 1995 to 2002 when I retired, it was very professional. We got paid a lot more by Career Australia um, and with that came a lot more responsibility. So I was very aware of that. You've played with some of the greats of cricket, either against you um, and also in some fantastic Australian teams. Was there anybody that really stood out or that you've modelled certain behaviours on? Oh, well, the one guy that stood out uh, above anyone was Shane Warne. He was just he, – he oozed charisma. He used um, – had this real energy about him, and he was a competitor. You know, he was a bit of a joker, and he was really, really nice to me. I remember coming into the Australian team uh, – it was the 1996 World Cup in India, Sri Lanka, and Pakistan, and – Shane Warne was really, really nice. And Steve always said to me, you know, how, how are you going with Warney? I said, oh, mate, he's, he's fantastic. He's, he's been really, really nice to me. He said, Shane, do you remember that when you were at school and the kid at school had no mates and um, this new kid comes to the school and the kid with no mates is all over that new kid? Well, you're that new kid and Warney's a kid with no mates. <laughs> so, so just watch him. But look, I, I, um, I think Steve was sort of tongue-in-cheek with that, but uh, he was a great competitor. Steve Waugh was an unbelievable cricketer. Um, yeah, Mark Taylor, I thought, was probably, even though he didn't rate me as highly as Steve Waugh did, I think he was a better captain, and only slightly. Um, Tubby just had a really, really good instinct of the game, so did Steve, but um, yeah, phenomenal leaders, and, and very, very lucky to play in that era where, you know, my first Shield game was against Alan Border, wow. um, the outgoing captain, so, you know, to play with some of those greats was, uh, was, was a real honour, mate, it really was. Your cricketing career took you all over the world, India... Um, and across to the UK as well, mm-hmm. um, and across the continents, really. Um, can you talk me through some of the times that you spent whilst you were uh, playing cricket in the um, in the likes of uh, Worcester and Somerset? Yeah, it was fantastic. Well, it would have been nice to have been a rugby player, I reckon, because they used to go to south of France, uh, to Argentina and Italy, and, and we would go to India, Sri Lanka and Pakistan. <laughs> but, um, but I remember playing in 1996, uh, Somerset were looking for an overseas professional, um, and some of the greats that have played, Steve Waugh played for Somerset, you know, uh, Viv Richards played there, Ian Botham, who was my idol, even though he was English, he was my idol growing up, uh, the all-rounder, Beefy, um, and they offered me like a fairly small contract, and Steve Waugh said, just go and do it, mate, it'll be great, you'll play every day, you'll play first-class cricket six days a week, and you'll come back a better player, and and, and I really did, I, I was... Um, I think the third highest run scorer in the whole championship that, that year, 1,800 runs at something like 70 or something. So I had a really, really good season. And that sort of really taught me how to build an innings um, and how to back up um, because when you're playing every day and things aren't going wrong, you've got to work out how to fix those mistakes quickly so you don't fail three or four days in a row. In Australia, you can go sort of two three weeks without batting depending on the toss or the situation of the game. So that taught me how to be really professional and how to deal with stuff, but also fix things on the go. It's really interesting, the same conversation, question I asked Simon Cottage around his time at Derbyshire and up at Durham as well. He said the same thing. It was really a defining point in his career, learning learning to play in different conditions and testing his own resilience um, on the field um, and that bringing that back into into Australia and then across other parts of uh, other parts of the world was uh, was mm. re- was really defining. In terms of uh, your career, could you talk through to the audience any obstacles that you came up with or any setbacks, and really importantly, how you uh, how you got over them? Well, look, there's a number of um, setbacks you get with cricket. Cricket goes for so long, um, 
And uh, as I said, you can go sort of weeks in Australia without having a bat or maybe not bowling. Um, you've got to deal with injuries. Um, as a fast bowler, you have – it's almost 15 to 20 times your body weight goes through your joints every ball. So my playing weight was about 102 kilos um, back when I was playing for Australia. Um, so you've got 1,500 times – yeah, 1,500 kilos of weight going through your joints. So you imagine how you pull up after every day. Then it's dealing with selection. Um, the hardest one that I found, I remember I got dropped from the Australian team after we went to an ICC knockout in Kenya, and I was the best bowler over there. I got um, three really good wickets against India, um, but we lost the first round match. Uh, and they came back, and I was the only one that got dropped because they decided to change direction on the team. And... Um, so that was really, really hard to deal with because particularly when you, you've done well and, and, I, and I started to feel like I was really part of that setup. But due to the team's form, um, they were going in a new direction and unfortunately I was the youngest one there and and they went with someone else. They tried other all-rounders. So that was really, really hard to deal with. Then then you've got um, you know, the press as well um, and you can't take that to heart and sometimes it's really, really hard not to. Um, I think I'm quite, although I don't come across emotional, I think I, think I can be. Um, and you can dwell on stuff too much, but the minute what you've got to learn is that every ball's a new ball. It doesn't matter what happened before last week or the week before that. Um, you know, the next ball is the most important thing in your whole life, and that's how you got to deal with it. Yeah, that's a really good way of looking at it. I think I'll uh, look at that one in the perspective, right? You've got to play it as it lies, as they say, and also yep. every day is a new day. So having that perspective from the cricket pitch and from the crease to understand that it doesn't matter what's gone before. As the bowler comes with that run-up, it's uh, you've got to play this one as it comes. That's it. You've had a fascinating career um, outside of cricket um, and somebody who um, has got a real passion for business. You run your own podcast, several podcasts across the Afternoon Sport Network. What, what was the catalyst for you to, to, to jump into to other, parts of, uh, other parts of business outside of sport? I was always interested in um, other things and, you know, one of the things I was really proud of that um, my time within the Australian setup and the New South Wales setup is that I always took the most of every opportunities and I was always interested in other people. So if we went to functions, um, let's just say it might be the the high chancellor's um, function and in in England for before a yeah a one day match over there, a lot of the players didn't like going to those events, but I actually sort of loved it. And I'd go around and ask people questions because you never know who you're going to meet. I was always inquisitive. Um, I, I, I was one of the few guys that went to university whilst I was playing because um, I wanted to have a, a fallback position. But there's two schools of thought on this. My brother Brett didn't do very well at school and Brett said he had no other option, but that worked for him because he had to make the most of his ability with, with the cricket ball and he did. Um, but I sort of felt like I wanted to have that fallback and, and comfort so I can go out and play with you know with more ease, I suppose. But you know, two schools of thought. If I didn't have that fallback, mate, would I have done better in my career? I don't know. Um, but I was really, really proud of that. And I, I co-founded a, a media company called Insight whilst I was still playing, and um, that I built up with a guy called Neil Maxwell and another guy called Charles Hoats. And we we actually um, we grew the business to about 130 full-time staff, about 40 consultants. So we're media buyers and planners. And we owned a public relations firm, and we we sold that to Harold Mitchell um, about ten years ago now. So I was really really proud of my first crack into that, and now doing podcasting with Lunch with Lee, um, which sort of encompasses my three passions in life, which have been sport, music, and business. And uh, 
I get to go to lunch, mate, and get paid for it, which is fantastic. <laughs> what a job that is. <laughs> <laughs> You've had some really interesting people on the show, the likes of Gladys Berejiklian and, and some, some mm. world-class sports performers. If we kind of pin down and, and think around resilience and the stories of resilience and how people bounce back, but also have that embedded into their lives on a daily basis, outside of the, the sporting arena and the cricket arena, anybody else you've met who you've really thought, wow, they get it. What they're doing is uh, is fascinating and uh, they're a strong-willed person. Yeah, uh, a guy called Chris Thomas. Chris Thomas was uh, probably regarded as maybe the top in the top five record producers of all time. He produced the Beatles and the Sex Pistols and In Excess and Elton John. I found him really interesting because he said his first day on the job, George Martin from the Beatles threw him in Abbey Road and he sat there on the White Album and uh, in front of McCartney and Lennon and he said he was so nervous and he didn't want to say the wrong thing, but he knew he had to try and do his job. And then he called him out on something and he said it was just silence. And they looked at him and went, yep, that's the right thing. And he said, do I come back tomorrow? And they said, well, <laughs> it is your job, mate. But he just said, um, particularly in that sort of area where you've got big egos and, and a lot of people around, that was the biggest band in the world, um, he said he had to really work out what he was bringing to the table and what he was good at and really stick to his guns and, and believe it because he said you can be influenced by other people's thoughts or what you think the perception of them are. So just be true to yourself, which was really, really good advice. Yeah, that, that authenticity and that being genuine, it's, a, it's mm. so important. And um, when you're working at the highest level, people see through that if you're not, uh, yeah. if, if you're not being authentic. Um, what advice would you give to uh, an aspiring I guess we'll answer this in, in two ways, an aspiring business person and an aspiring uh, grassroots sports person. Um, hone your skills in, in sport. Hone your skills. Um, play a variety of different sports, um, but the fundamentals are, are the key to anything. They never change. Um, so they're the building blocks of, of, of any sportsman. Um, you know, in, in terms of cricket, um, you've got to be able to catch. You've got to be able to... If you're a bowler, you've got to be a bowler. You've got to own your stock ball, which is the main board, and you've got to be able to land that ball in the right spot under under any sorts of pressure. You need to be able to do it day in, day out. And as a batsman, you need to occupy the crease to to, to score runs, um, hit the ball on the ground. Basics from a business perspective, when I first went into that, I found business people really ruthless because you come from this bubble of a professional sport, and back then, the Australian cricket team, was only, only really 12 of us. Um, so it was a pretty tightly knit group, and they used to weed out the dickheads. Um, but then you go into this business world where you're not so comfortable, and you know I come across people that would sell their grandmother. So I found that really intimidating at first. But once you sort of work out people and what they're about, you need to go into any any meeting prepared. I, I think from a business sense, and and just keep learning. The minute you try and stop learning, or you or you try and stop or you stop improving in sport, that's the minute that your your your, your days are numbered. I reckon. That's really interesting uh, what you've said there because what I see in the business world is the people that really hit their numbers over and over again, whether it's in selling or, or outstanding at, at operationalizing a business, they have the fundamentals right. Mm -hmm. So whether it's, it, it's the catching version or the, or the batting or the stock ball, day in, day out, they, they, they've got those repeatable actions um, that they just nail. And then everything on top of that, 
um, is where the is where the magic happens That's and it. the creativity because they've got those foundations that they can just uh, pivot from all the time and they know they're always going to turn up and, and, and do the basics um, outstandingly well. I ask this to everybody who comes on the show and, and talking around building resilience. What does resilience mean to Shane Lee? Uh, it means a few things. It, it, it means um, I find it a very positive word. I find it something... I don't think you're necessarily born with resilience. I think you have to learn it. I think some people are more resilient than others. I think um, you should never underestimate yourself or someone else either. Um, and I used to think I was a pretty good judge of character, and I still think I, I am. But you should never put anyone into a box either and think, well, that's all they can do because you don't really know yourself. Like People are capable of a lot more than they think. And I think you need to always think that with your, your own personal, whether it's your own business or your own sporting career, you need to be getting better and you can get better. You need to open up your eyes. You need to talk to different people. Keep your fundamentals right. Keep working on those basic things, but keep continually learning. Um, and that will build resilience. And I think resilience is something um, that it should be worn as a bit of a battle scar as well, a badge of pride, I think. that. Uh, and there's nothing better when you – where it might be batting one day and you go out there and you're really struggling and you're not hitting the ball well and somehow you get through this period and all of a sudden the other day you look up on the scoreboard and you're 150 not out and you go, wow, I'm really proud of that as opposed to you have those days when you just don't you hit everything in the middle and it goes fantastically well and they're great too but it's the ones where you're resilient and you're hard and you have to really fight for it. Um, I think those sort of um, moments are very sweet. Yeah, grinding through the pain, having the courage, yeah. having that fearlessness to to keep going when the uh, when the going gets tough, and then the magic comes out the other side of that. That's it. Yeah. Shane Lee, thank you very much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure to get to know you better, understand more around your career and and what resilience means to you. Before I leave you, speaking of resilience. The Pommy batting lineup's going to have plenty of it, uh, or going to need plenty of it. What's your prediction for the Ashes? Oh, I think Australia will win three nil. I think, um, or maybe three one. I think the Poms might might get one back, but I think looking right now, I think the English um, batting lineup is pretty weak without Root um, scoring runs. Um, but I'll leave you with one quick thought, mate. And this is sort of sums it up. How it was one of my greatest moments in sport. I took five for 32 at the MCG for Australia versus Sri Lanka. And I was so proud of myself. And I, um, my two good mates, uh, Andrew Yates and uh, a guy called Craig Hughes, came down to watch me play the match. And we were walking out for a beer afterwards. And I'm on top of the world, right? Taking five for Australia. And I walk out of the Crown Casino and there's a homeless guy lying in the gutter. And he's sort of like, I didn't know whether he was dead or not. He was sort of lying, didn't look well. And he sort of looked up at me and he went, Lee, I went, yes. He goes, you're shit. <laughs> and then he claps back down in the gutter. So <laughs> if you haven't got resilience, mate, you don't get through those key moments. <laughs> A bit of honesty to keep you going. I know, mate. Anyway, uh, uh, mate, really good to be on your show, mate, and keep up the good work. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to some more um, fantastic guests on your show, and I think this is a great, great uh, concept for people to learn and actually think outside the square, but using sport to um, to maybe build your own skill sets in your in your own business world as well. Yeah, thank you, Shane. Yeah, that's what it's all about: sharing the knowledge of uh, world class sports people who've gone through it all, 
come out the other side of it and can share those insights um, so we can uh, all improve and, and sharpen our tools. It's a, it's a really exciting time to be able to speak to people like yourself. So thank you. We really appreciate it. Good man. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to the Building Resilience podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe or follow wherever you listen so you don't miss future episodes. Thanks today to our guest, Shane Lee. I appreciate your time. And thanks to our sponsor, Securo. Securo, trust tomorrow. If you'd like to know more about Securo, you can head to securo.io. This podcast was made by Afternoon Sport Group.